Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Legacy. Um, if you have not been here over the last few weeks, uh, please, by, by all means, go online and get caught up. Um, if you've not been here for the last year, really, of our church, um, then, then this may be a little bit lost on you. If you're a first-time visitor here, I just want to especially greet you and thank you for being here today. But here's what I would really encourage anybody that's here as a first-timer, is get back in here next week um, on Easter. Get back in here in the weeks to come as we get into a normal groove at New Beginnings, because this whole last few weeks has not been a normal groove. We have been talking about something that is so church-specific. We have been talking about, really, this idea of our church legacy. And really, it comes down to this. We were offered the opportunity to buy this building that we're in. So we rent this building. We have a Sunday morning lease agreement, and we rent it every Sunday morning. And literally, it's a shell of a place. And if you volunteered with us, you know, when you come in, it's empty. And we set up all these chairs. We roll in all the stuff that you see on stage, all the stuff that's in the kids' rooms. I mean, we roll in everything on a 20-something-foot trailer. Um, and, and, and then we, at the end of the day, guess what we do? We tear it all down, put it back on the trailer, and that's what we do. And so uh, we literally have been in this building since 2009, so for almost 10 years, we've been in this building on a Sunday morning, but they came to us with the opportunity. They came to us and said, hey, we think we're going to sell the building. I think we're going to sell this building in the next two to three years. Do you want to buy it? And we said, yes, we would love to buy it. And we felt like this was our legacy moment and our legacy opportunity. This was our opportunity to kind of jump ahead and jump forward and move forward as a church. But the reason why it's called legacy is because we believe this. We believe that it is our responsibility as a church to set this church up for generations to come. That we don't look, it's a great church. It's, it, I, I so enjoy It's a great group of people. It's so fantastic. But what we don't want to do is become the church that said, well, in our generation, we had a great church and a great this and a great, and it was just all fun. I had a great church. But then after we, then it just dissipated and it died out. And so what we want to do is make sure that this is, this is a new beginnings place for generations to come, that we're connecting people to Christ for generations to come. And one of the best ways to do that is to set this church up so that it has a home, it has a place. I, here, here's one of the things that I, I kind of feel like as a pastor too. There's nothing worse than having to say no to something for a lack of resources. Isn't that the worst? If you're a parent, you kind of know that feeling. Because if you had an opportunity to do something for your kids that you knew would really bless them or help them, it hurts a little bit on the inside because if you ever just lacked the resources to bless them or to help them or to support them or help them succeed, you, you had just a little bit of cringe on the inside of you because what you really wanted to do was just to let them jump off of your shoulders into the future and set them up for greater blessing and greater success. And I just don't ever want to say no for a lack of resources and a lack of opportunity or a lack of space or a lack of time. I just want us to be able to go and to do, to expand. And this is what our prayer has been for the last few weeks and really the prayer that I've been praying for the last year is, God, would you please bless our church indeed? Would you enlarge its territory? Would you put your hand of favor upon it? And when then would you protect us from evil that we may not cause pain? And that has been our belief is that God was going to do something great. And so I've asked you for the last few weeks, number one, to pray. Like that's the most important thing. I need you to pray and ask God to bless our church in that way that I just described. But secondly, I needed you to like get real and, and like consider your finances and have a tough conversation. I needed you to begin to think sacrificially. I needed you to begin to think creatively even and say, God, what is it that I could do to help leave a legacy for generations to come? How can I be a part of this legacy moment and this legacy opportunity? And so this is the day that we will receive 
uh, both our pledges and what we call our miracle offering. Now, here's the deal. Last year, this is the anniversary. Last year, we raised over $100,000 in one day. And then since then, we've raised over $200,000 in addition to that. So our, our, our legacy account is sitting right around $325,000. Now, that sounds great, but, everybody say, but, we need to get to about a million dollars. Now, again, things are changing depending on interest rates, depending on real estate values. So, so nothing's locked. There's no contract that said, Todd, you can get in for this number. You can get in for this interest. So nothing's locked. Because of that, we have kind of like a generic target that we feel like we need to get to. And so um, we're just praying. We're believing. But guess what? We're tracking pretty well. But that also means that I need you to, like, not let off the gas with your faith. Don't let off the gas with your prayers. And certainly don't let off the gas with your generosity. Now, here's the deal. Now, this is the conclusion that I've come to about you. Okay? Here's what I know about you. Now, individually as a church. Now, I'm from the South, so we say y'all. This is faster. It's really efficient. Y'all are a generous people. Y'all are a generous church. I already know that. You guys. See, that doesn't even, that doesn't sound good. You people. That sounds almost right. like you people. No. That's why it's y'all. Y'all are a generous church. Anytime we do anything, you're a generous church. Even anytime we have an opportunity, anytime I present an idea, anytime I say, hey, let's go do this, you're a generous church. And so my, my, my point would be this, is that we do not have a generosity issue in our church. We just need to incre- increase our capacity. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I pray that God increases my capacity to give, to go, and to do. That's, I pray that all the time. And so what I want to do is pray that for you, but then show you how that actually works in your life because I already know that as a church, you're generous. So I'm not necessarily, although it's always good to increase your generosity, I need to increase your capacity. And that's what we all want because I know this, that if you, if you had more, you would give more. If you had access to more, you'd do more. That if you, if you had the, the time, the talent, the potential, the energy, the way you, you, you would go further, it's not a lack of, of desire, but many of us lack a capacity. And let me tell you where this message that I'm going to share with you today really comes out of. This last session of First Connect, which is this class that we do, which if you've never been to First Connect, please sign up to our next one. But it's a class where you learn about the history of our church and the values of our church. But we were talking about this idea that when it comes to being a generous church or when it comes to doing really godly finances, there's a, there's a kickback that people in the church get, and I get your kickback, okay? I want you to know I get that. I grew up in a church, and, and, and literally every February they did stewardship month. And my dad was like, oh, yeah, stewardship month. That's just where they're going to ask for more money. And so, and just so you know, that sounded southern. That's not even half of how country my dad was. But, but the point was is he had his like, oh, yeah, here they go again. Oh, yeah, here they go. They just want more money. You ever heard that before? They just want more money. And then there's been enough churches to screw this up and to mess this up and abuse this and do this wrong. And there's been enough headlines in the news of people that were, were fraudulent or bad or evil or dumb or whatever it was. And so I, I get your pushback. But here's what I need you to know. That if you would do your finances in a godly and biblical way, here's what you would discover. That the answer is not give more. That's not the answer. Because like that's what, that's what the preacher would say, right? Well, like, oh, of course the preacher's going to say that. You just need to give more. That, that's the answer. It's not the answer. It's one of many answers. It's a part of it. But really what generosity is, is generosity becomes the byproduct of doing everything else in this incredibly godly and biblical way. And so what I wanted to do for you this morning is set you up for success. Because what I want to do is increase your capacity to give. Not so that you can get more. 
I just want to increase your capacity because really what you learn in the Bible is this, is that you're blessed so that you can be a blessing to the world around you. That, that's the point. Like God's not trying to get you something so you can hoard it. How ridiculous. God's not trying to get you more so that you can be selfish and spend it on ridiculous things. The Bible says that God wants to give seed to the sower, which means this. God wants to increase your capacity so that you can do more, give more, go more, and make a bigger kingdom impact. Because again, as a church, now not as an individual, I don't know where you're as an individual, but as a church, we're already a generous church. I just want to increase your capacity. So what I want to show you is this, is that there's some things that you can do that is is more than just give. That's this odd component of it. And here are the principles that I think will set you up to increase your capacity. You ready? This is it. This is what the Bible teaches about finances. Number one is this. There's a principle that I think unlocks everything else in this life. And the principle, everybody say God first. There's a principle in scripture that God is first. And and here's where it comes from. It, It goes all the way back to the beginning to Cain and Abel. When they gave their offering, one of them gave their first fruits. The other one gave their leftovers. And God said, that's That's not how that works. And then later you see that the people of God were to sacrifice the first lamb of their flock and that if you sacrifice the first one, it would redeem the rest of them. And then Solomon said that if you give your first fruits and honor God there, that it would increase them. And then Jesus comes along and says, just seek first the kingdom of God in everything. It's not just a financial principle. It's an everything principle. And the principle ultimately is this. Whatever you put first in your life orders everything else. Some of you wonder why your lives are in chaos. If you tracked it back and figure out what it is that you put first with your time, attention, money, resources, what you'd find is this. you got a trickle-down effect that you don't like. And it's because ultimately God's not first in your life. Something else is driving the car. Something else is driving your life. And it's not God. And this is not just a, listen, I don't want you to think, well, Todd, my life's pretty, pretty together. Well, life is built in all these different categories. And what most of us find is our life's not in chaos in everything. It's like chaos in one or two things. Now, if you're super crazy, you got four or five. But I mean, for most of us, most of us, for most of us, we got one or two areas of our life. You're like, why is my, like some of you come to me, you're like, why is my dating life so crazy? It's because God's not first in your dating. So you wonder why you keep ending up with him or you keep ending up with her. Or you keep do- so it's not that God's not first in your heart and in your mind. It's that what you've done is you've normally taken a category of life and said, well, I'm going to do this one my way because if I do it God's way, it's not nearly as much fun or I won't get to have my cake and eat it too or I won't be. So they're just, I got this one, God bless everything else. And then you wonder, but here's the principle. The principle is that whatever you order first ends up, listen to what the scripture says. This is again, this is what we read earlier. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Then, everybody say then, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And this is why we tithe. This is where the whole idea of tithing comes from. It comes from that before the law was even written, there was a man who said, I'm going to give God the first 10% of all my increase. And then Moses came along and said, no, no, we all need it. This needs to be a national thing. We're going to make it a national law. And then by the time you get to the New Testament, you see Jesus affirming it. You see the book of Hebrews affirming it. And now it becomes a life principle. So you're not the nation of Israel, are you? Or somebody say, no. No, you're, you're New Beginnings Church. So, so, so we're not under a national law that says you have to. We're underneath the, the, the blessing of God, the grace of God, and we're underneath this idea that there's a principle that if you'll do it, you'll unlock incredible blessing in your life. And it is beginning with the principle of God first. Now, again, that's just, that's just the starting block. 
Number two is this, though. Number two, and it all builds. You can see this is all connected. Principle number two is this, is I need to think and act like a steward. Everybody say steward. The other word, this is the Bible word. The Bible uses the word steward. We would use the word manager. So let's go there. Everybody say manager. See, the Bible has this crazy idea, and this is in the book of Psalms. It says this. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and everybody say everything. Yeah, if you say it with a little bit of, you know, get a little everything. And then it's everything. So, so if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and then even you who live in it, all that stuff that you normally think of as yours, whose is it really? Yeah, because you ever notice that you come to this world bucket naked, you leave turning back to dust, right? There is no U-Haul attached to your hearse. You don't get to take none of it with you. I told you this brutal reality before that literally when you die, people will argue over your things and then 30 minutes after your funeral, they're eating snacks. So in light of that, you need to be aware that really everything that you have is on loan for a temporary amount of time. And when you begin to see yourself, holy smokes, this ain't even mine. It's not mine. Like the 10%, that's holy. He said the 90% is not holy. The first 10% is holy. We give that directly to God. That's God first. But the rest of the 90%, that's not really mine. It's just not holy. I'm not stealing from God if I don't give it. It's actually this thing that I'm now responsible for. Now, have you ever thought of it like this? And if you have a money manager or if you have a broker, you, you, you would know this feeling. Can you imagine calling up a money manager or a broker, if you owned your own business and somebody else ran it for you, you ever imagine calling that person up and be like, hey, how are things going? Hey, how's everything with the market? How are these stocks doing? How are these going? And what if he told you about, man, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't looked in a while. You know, that's a great question. I'm going to have to go figure that out. That's, would you keep that person as your money manager as your broker? No, why? Because a great money manager actually keeps an account. They, they track things. Does that, does that make sense? And the principle is this, is that you ought to be on some type of budget because God is watching. And the Bible says some really, really fascinating things about this. The Bible says that the way that God rewards you in heaven is based on what you do with your money here on earth. Does it make sense? As a matter of fact, there's three things. One of them was, what is it that you do with seemingly insignificant things? Because God's watching you. And when you, when you basically disregard things because they're seemingly insignificant, God's like, okay, I'm watching you because you've got to be careful. You don't really actually know what's significant or insignificant. So just be a good steward of everything. He says, how you handle money. And the other one was this, is how you handle other people's stuff. That's what he said. He goes, because if you'll be faithful with another man's, then, then you'll be faithful with what is your own. And so you need to remember this, is that God is observing, God is watching, God is tracking how it is that you are a steward. And so I want you to know that one of the greatest principles that you can achieve in life is to become a steward of God's resources. So if you have no idea what's coming in, what's going out, where it's going, where it's being utilized, if you have no idea, would you, let me ask you this question, let's put it like this. If you were your own money manager based on all those things, would you fire yourself? Because if you would fire yourself, which by the way, you can't do, then you need to go back and rework things and say, you know what, I need to become a steward. God's entrusted me and I don't get to keep it. Remember, like if you ever go to a funeral, this is how they do it. You ever notice that you got your name and then you got a date and then a date and in the middle is a what? This is the dash. That's you. You're living in the dash. It's quick. It's temporary. You don't get to keep anything. Think about this. All the stuff that you think is so important that you try to hoard and keep and cling and protect to, you don't get to keep any of it. You're simply stewarding it 
for a dash. And if you'll become a steward of things, what's going to happen is this. Because if you actually honored God first and then managed the 90% well, and ask yourself this question, because if you're the money manager and God's the owner, the money manager should be asking the question, you're the owner, what would you like me to do with this? And if you begin to look at the 90% and then begin to pray, God, this is technically yours, what would you have me do with this? You would operate in a totally different way. This is the principle of stewardship. Now, number three is this, and they're all building. Number, number three is this, everybody say master debt. Not MasterCard, that's the opposite. This is master debt. And here's, here's why this is such a big deal. It's because the Bible actually talks a good bit about debt and it never talks highly or positively about debt. Now, here's what the scripture actually says. Listen to this, this is powerful. Proverbs 22 verse seven says this. It says that the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant, or really you could say slave there. They were, they were being friendly here in the NIV. Or the borrower is slave to the lender. So what the Bible describes debt is, is that debt is a form of slavery. And if you're paying 20% interest, you know that that is true. Like nobody ever got rich on points, right? And you kept getting poorer and poorer because there was interest. Now, here's, just, here's a gem of a thought. This is even in the notes. This is free. The difference between wealthy people and poor people is this. Some people are making interest. Some people are paying interest. And you want to be the one making interest. Why? So that you can increase your capacity to go and to do and to give. This isn't about, this isn't about you getting more. This is about you get, increasing your capacity to do more and to give more. To be a blessing to the world around you. Now, is it the only way to bless the world around you? No. But let's not become a lazy person and say, well, I bless people in other ways just simply because I want to be lazy in my finances. Now, here's, here's some interesting numbers. I want you to think about this whole idea of mastering debt. The average American credit card holder has at least three and a half credit cards. Now, nobody amen up in here. And this isn't, a, this isn't like, a, there's no prize if you have the most, okay? So think about this. Most people have three and a half, at least on average, three and a half credit cards. The average credit card debt per household with credit card debt is over $15,000. And then when you multiply that, that out and look at just the total amount of consumer debt, again, not, we're not talking about mortgage payments, we're talking about consumer debt, credit card debt, it's $2.43 trillion. Now, I don't know about you, but like I could use $2.43 trillion to change the world, right? But instead, it's being used up so the point is, is that you want to live a life where you get a biblical perception, a biblical mindset towards debt, which is this, is I'm not getting rich on points. I'm getting poor based on them charging me interest. And debt is becoming a slave driver in my life. Now, I grew up with, a, with, a, with like, again, two different parents. My dad was a financially frugal and wise and smart person. And my mom was the opposite, whatever that is. And mom doesn't listen to my sermons very often, so I think I'm going to be okay. Dad was making interest. Now, the weird thing about my parents was they never put their finances together. So they always had separate finances, which I don't approve of for married couples. That's not the wisest thing to do. But dad was making interest, and mama was paying interest. And I remember being a teenager having to, like, loan my mom money so that she could pay off credit cards because she didn't want my dad to know how much. Because she had, like, she, she had, like, Discover. Which is like, just, just discover how much I can spend. And then there was, there was Visa, and then there was Master, and there was JCPenney's. Is that still, is there still a JCPenney's? Does that still exist? So anyway, for now, okay, a little bit longer. It's like Sears, it's going the way of the dodo. So 
Anyway, my, my, my mom had a card for everything. And, and, and she, she, she was one of those people that were like, well, if I just pay down the minimums, <laughs> you will be paying down the minimums till the day you die. Stop it. You are, a, you are underneath a slave driver, and it is killing your capacity to be a blessing to the world around you. You need to adopt this. As a matter of fact, this is the real uh, mentality that I think the New Testament teaches. Romans 13 verse 8 says this, Oh, no man anything. What does that mean? Don't have a slave driver. Don't be into debt to anybody for anything except what? Except to love somebody. I owe you to love you. Other than I owe you nothing. I'm not paying it. I'm paying you on love and hugs and, you know, that favor. I, I, that's what I owe you. I owe you love because you're made in the image and likeness of God and Christ died for you. I owe you love. But I don't owe you money because I don't go into debt. And so anyway, the whole, the whole premise of the Old Testament is built on this idea. God actually had mechanisms inside the nation of Israel for people to get debt free. And the people of God were actually forbidden to loan their fellow countrymen money with interest. They were forbidden to do it. Why? Because they just knew. We don't want people going into debt to each other. It's going to wreck society. And so the whole biblical model is this, is that you need to master debt versus having debt master you. Number four is this. This is the principle. Everybody say margin. Not margarine. Margin. 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 Now, what is margin? Okay, margin is the gap between like, you know, what I have and what I spend. Does that make sense? It's, it's, there's a gap. And what the Bible teaches is, is there ought to be a gap between what I have and what I spend. And I'll tell you where it comes from. And again, look, I want you to look at why. It's about increasing your capacity, not increasing your ability to hoard more or get more. That was not the point. Watch this. This is beautiful. Leviticus chapter 19, the Bible says this. When you reap, the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners. Everybody say corners. Now, what kind of objects have corners? Well, yeah, thank you, squares. So, what did you say, fields? Okay, but corners, I said objects. I think it's fields an object. I don't know. It's a square. We'll go with square. Everybody say square. We're going to roll with square. It's a square. So, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. Now, what would happen if you had a square, but you didn't reap the, the corners? What would you have? You'd have some stuff on the end here, in here, and you have four different. Well, no, we're not doing shapes no more. You just stop it. You're gonna confuse me. So, all right, but but we got a square, and then we if we didn't, yeah, you're right. We little triangles everywhere. It's just okay. It's too deep. It's too deep. But you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather. Every, everybody say every. every. Don't get every grape. Leave some grapes behind. Not every grape. You're going to turn it into wine, drink too much, stop it. So, you shall leave them, what? The gleanings, the grapes, the corners. You shall leave them for the who? The poor and the stranger. And that doesn't mean like they're strange. It just means they're foreigners and they don't live there. Because I am the Lord, your God. So he leverages the whole idea of like, I'm the Lord, I brought you out. When you were a stranger, I gave you land. When you had nothing, I blessed you. Now I want you to live the rest of your life trying to be a blessing to the world around you. So even though you have a square, I want you to live in a... Right, because that's what would be on the inside. Because if you have little triangles on the outside, what would you have on the inside? Okay, everybody say this. Everybody say, I have a square. I need to live in a circle. Okay, let's say that again because that didn't even sink in. Some of y'all are still trying to figure out shapes. Everybody say, I have a square. 
I need to live in a circle. I just blew your mind today, didn't I? Like, like blues clues and like shapes. And listen, 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 listen. The principle is the principle of margin. Because here's what, here's what you need to think of. In America right now, the way most people operate based on three and a half credit cards, $15,000 worth of debt, and $2.43 trillion worth of American consumer debt, you know what that means? Is that America has a square and it doesn't live in a circle. It actually has a square and it maxes out all of that square and then goes and borrows parts of other people's squares and then them people's charging you interest on the other part of the square that you don't even own. And then you wonder why your capacity is low. It's because ultimately we've abandoned this idea of margin that I should never max out all my spending. I should never, we ought to be able to live beneath our means. This is why the apostle Paul said, he said, godliness with contentment equals great gain. Godliness with contentment equals great gain. I don't have to maximize everything. If I have a square, I need to live in a circle so that I can have margin and my margin should be to increase my capacity to give. Everybody said, that was good. That was, that was really good. That was awesome. Number five is this. Number five is this is huge. Everybody say knowledge as well. Knowledge as well. This is another idea and principle you find all throughout scripture and that the Jewish people adopted because what you need to know about history is this, is the Jewish people have constantly had problems with people stealing their stuff or stealing their land or they're having to fight for things or get uprooted or whatever, whatever, whatever. And here's the deal. If you will live by this principle, what you'll discover is this, is that people can steal your stuff they cannot steal your knowledge. Nobody's ever like gotten into your brain and stole some stuff. Your knowledge is yours. And what the Bible teaches you is that as a godly person, as a Christ follower, you should pursue wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. I'll watch, I'll prove it to you. Watch this. Uh, Proverbs 3, verse 13. And by the way, I could do this for days with these scriptures, but I'm giving you two, three. Blessed are those who find wisdom and those who gain understanding. For she... All of a sudden, wisdom is a woman. What does that tell you? All right. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Why is that? Again, people can steal your gold. They can steal your silver. They can't steal your knowledge. And here's the deal. This is what we know to be true based on life. Is that if you gave a foolish person a lot of money, they will lose it. If you take a wise person and take all of their money, they'll go make more. What was the difference? It wasn't wealth. Stop thinking that your, your, your life is dictated by your starting line. It's not. It is mostly dictated by the hand of God on your life and living by this principle of knowledge itself is wealth. Number verse, verse 15 says this. She is more precious. Everybody say more. She is more precious than rubies and nothing you can desire can, or nothing you desire can compare to it. And so what you want to do is be a person that pursues knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Why? Because it increases your capacity. That even if you lost it or if somebody stole it or if you went through a disaster, if you pursue knowledge, well, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, you have the ability to increase your capacity. Let me put this real simple. On your current job, what if you would increase your knowledge and wisdom and understanding? It would only increase your capacity inside of a specific job. If you're a business owner and you increased your knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, what would you be increasing? Your capacity to earn more. As a matter of fact, check this out. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, in two or three different places, lists Spiritual gifts. I want you to think about that. Spiritual gifts, all kinds of things. One of the spiritual gifts that he mentions is the gift of giving. 
And what he was leaning into was, is some people had the gift of hospitality. Some people had the gift of administration. Some people had the gift of service. What he was saying was, is some people are naturally wired to do certain things. And he made the observation that some people are naturally wired to be wealth producers. But the Old Testament teaches you this idea that this is not an exclusive thing. This isn't like, oh, you got the gift. Great. Good for you. You didn't get it. Oh, that's, that's too bad. I guess you'll just be poor your whole life. That's not the way the Bible teaches these gifts, that they're gifts to be pursued, to be learned, to be crafted, to be honed in on. And so what I want you to do is say, hey, look, I want to gain wisdom, knowledge, and understanding so that I can increase my capacity. Man, I could keep going, but I got to be done. Number, number six is this. Number six is this. This is the principle of invest for the long term. Okay, well, there's only one more after this. There's not like 20. If you were worried that there were 20 points, it's just the seven most important ones. Here we go. Invest for the long term. Invest for the long term. Proverbs 21, verse 20 says this. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Now, again, agricultural society, what he was talking about, your resources, right? He's talking about your, your savings. And he was saying that a foolish person doesn't save anything. They don't have margin. They might be living out of other people's squares even. They do not do things biblically. They just consume it all but what is it that the wise do they store up choice food and olive oil meaning this they have a reserve meaning that not only do they have a square and they live in a circle they've learned how to master debt they're increasing their capacity by increasing knowledge wisdom and understanding they've already put god first in their life they are stewards of what god has entrusted with them and because of that they now have the ability to set aside stuff for the future now let me ask you a cool question real quick because I don't know what your life was like. Can you imagine if when you were coming up as a teenager that somebody was teaching you this stuff and you weren't a, an ornery teenager that thought you were smarter than everybody else, but you were actually like humble and wise. And you're like, well, I'm going to listen, I'm going to learn. Can you imagine if you knew this when you were a teenager? Do you know what the studies show? The studies show that the average American based on just average medium household, household incomes, that literally if you would just start saving at a very, very basic percentage rate, because you did all the first five things we just talked about, because you had margin, because you weren't mastered by debt, because you put, if you would start saving, even at the age of 20 years old, if you were just saving at a mild, moderate percentage, that by the time you retire, you will have well over a million dollars because of compound interest and because of the way that works. I'm just telling you that it's possible. Now, let me ask you another question, because we weren't smart enough when we were 20 to figure that out. What if, what if, what if? What if not only that, but what if when you were 20, you learned all these things, and then you had parents and grandparents who said, hey, not only do we want you to live this way because it'll set you up for the most blessed life possible, it'll set you up for incredible capacity, but because we have already lived this way, we're going to make sure that you don't have to buy that first car We're going to because we don't want you going into debt for that. And we're going to make sure we pay for your college because we don't want you to go into debt for that. And we're going to make sure that you set off into this journey that you start off debt-free, and we're going to help you do that. And you know why we have the ability to, to help you do that? It's because we did all these things. What you end up with is you end up perpetuating generations of blessing. Now, in our, let's just think about our world, most of us didn't have that opportunity. We did not learn this at an early age, and no one set us up for success. But, everybody say, but. But what if you change that? What if you were the generation changer? Because here's the deal. In America, there's a, there's a common idiom that's called shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Has, has anybody ever heard this before? I, I think I've shared this with you probably years ago. For, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. And what, what trends always show is this. 
is that usually there comes along a person, and they probably have the gift of giving because of what we talked about earlier, and they are first-generation wealth producers. They just have a knack for it, a mind for it, a work ethic for it. It all converges into like some really good timing, and they do something that gets them incredible wealth. Now, here's the problem, though. They got out of their shirt sleeves, and they acquired a certain amount of wealth. But by the second generation, usually, because they don't pass this along, you can pass along wealth, but if you don't pass along this, the wealth will not last. Because here's why. Normally, the first generation was a wealth producer. The second generation does not know how to produce the wealth, but they at least know maybe how to maintain the wealth. But again, because they don't pass this down, the third generation not only doesn't know how to make it, they don't know how to maintain it, they end up squandering it, and they go back to shirt sleeves. That's the idiom. That's where it comes from. And it's just this idea of your, that there is a cycle that you can get into where you perpetuate lack. Or there is another cycle that you can get into where you perpetuate blessing. And what I want to encourage you to do today is this. I don't think you have a generosity problem. I think if anything, we're praying and hoping and believing that we can increase our capacity. And it all begins here. Last principle is this. This is the most important one. You're taking medicine. It's 1113. So this is it. And this is where we get to today when we talk about legacy. This is why we came today. This is why you got a pledge card today. This is why you brought an offering today. It's because ultimately, principle number seven is this, and it all builds. Because if you'll do the other ones, you can definitely do this one. You can be driven by eternity. Now, there's something weird in the Bible. They keep bringing up heaven. They keep talking about this idea of laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. They keep telling you to think about souls in heaven. They keep trying to get you to think about not the long term, the really long term. Does that make sense? Like, like I want you to be wise so you have something for the long term. But I don't want you to be foolish and have nothing for the really long term. Because the reality is, is you live in the age to come for eternity. You live here for a dash. I want you to be wise in the dash. But I want you ultimately to be driven by eternity. I want you to recognize that everything that you hoard in this life will rust. Moths come in, thieves break in, and steal, or they just argue about it after you're dead. All that stuff that you deem so valuable, it won't last. Listen to this scripture. It's powerful. Paul was talking to Timothy, who was a young pastor. He said, hey, I need you to teach the people in your church this. Now listen carefully to who he's, who he's talking to, though. He says, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You need to know that the reason why you put God first is because, well, that has a ripple effect into every arena of your life. The reason why you want to become a good steward is so that you can master debt and that you can create margin so that you can actually have a capacity to give. So that you can set up people for generations to come so that they have a capacity to give. But never lose sight of the whole purpose. It was that eternity hangs in the balance. You need to know that when we pray that prayer, God, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You need to know we're, we're driven by eternity. When we talk about connecting people to Christ, it's because we're driven by eternity. 
when we give generously and sacrificially, you need to know that ultimately we need to be driven by eternity. Because see, one day, you're going to cross a threshold. You're going to move from this age to the coming age, from this life to the life to come. And the the Bible says you spend all your time there in just a blink of an eye here. James calls it a mist and a vapor. It's like, poof, you're gone. It's so short. It's so quick. But you spend eternity there. And for some weird reason, we get so caught up in the things of this world. We get so Can you imagine, like, think about how many images we are bombarded with. Think about the amount of commercials, the amount of advertisement, the amount of marketing, just walking through the mall, walking through the grocery aisle, walking around this people planet. We are bombarded with every image that says, you need this now. You need this to feel better about yourself. You need this so you can measure up to other people. You, if, you, if you get this, you'll be so happy. That's what every image is. I'm a golfer. And I love golf. And golfing equipment is maybe the worst. Because every year, golfing equipment comes out. TaylorMade and Callaway and these guys, they come out. And you know what they come out with? They come out with brand new gear. And it has a new color. And it has new little trinkety things on it. It has new little movable weights in it. And you know what they say? They say, you know what? When you spent $400 on last year's model, that model sucks. You need this new one. And I'm like, I need that. I bet I could drive it five more yards if I just had that fancy new driver. It's, it's not true either. It's, it's, it's all a lie. But like your whole life is that way. Your whole life is, you know what? Your life sucks. If you just had this, you'd feel so much better. If you had these things, you'd measure up. If you had these things, you'd feel better about yourself. I promise you. And you know what you're driven by? You're driven by the greed of now. When we live that way, we're caught up in the things of this world. And, and, and Jesus is compelling us. No, no, no. Be driven by eternity. There was a story I just came across recently. I want to read it for you. It's, it's this guy named Shane Claiborne who went to go spend a summer with Mother Teresa. And I want to read to you what he said. This guy goes down to Calcutta to spend the summer with Mother Teresa. And when he comes back, he begins to write about his experience. And so he writes this. He goes, people often ask me what Mother Teresa was like. Sometimes it's like they wonder if she glowed in the dark or had a halo. She was actually short and wrinkly, but precious, even a little ornery, but like a beautiful, wise old grandma. But there was one thing that I will never forget, her feet. Her feet were deformed. Each morning in mass, I would just stare at them, and I wondered if she had somehow contracted leprosy herself, but I wasn't going to ask her, of course. And finally, one of the sisters asked him, said, hey, you ever wonder about Mother Teresa's feet? And he goes like, yeah, but I, I couldn't ask her. It'd be so weird. Like, hey, Mother Teresa, what's up with your crazy, gangly Freddy Krueger feet? Because he talks about like her feet is crazy. And he goes, let me tell you, she goes, let me tell you why her feet look like that. She's always giving away her shoes. And he's like, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, because we, if you don't know who Mother Teresa is, it, I, sometimes I know we know who she is like as an as a iconic name, but like what you don't know is that she would run leper colonies and orphanages. She would take care of lepers and, and AIDS, and she would set up homes to take care of people. I mean, like, she was literally a saint. <laughs> like, they, they sainted her. She's a saint. Mother Teresa spent her whole life trying to take care of the poor and the hurting and the suffering and the needy. But they asked her, like, what, 
what is the reason why your feet are so gangly? And, and the answer was, well, she doesn't talk about it. She gives away her shoes. And then when the, when the shoes come in, because people donate money and clothing and food and whatever, we, we usually only get just enough shoes for everybody to have a pair. But she will not let another person go without shoes. She's always giving away her shoes. And a lot of times, like, they come in mismatched. And so sometimes, like, if there's just two shoes left over and that's all that's left over after everybody else got their shoes, there'd be two left shoes. She's wearing them. There's two right shoes she's wearing. Sometimes there's just one shoe. This is her shoes. The reason why her feet are crazy is because she's giving away her shoes. But what that reflects to me is this. Is she's got to be driven by eternity. I'm driven by comfort sometimes. I want the nice shoes. Like, I get why older people wear not-so-flattering-looking shoes. They're just comfortable. You get some really dope-looking shoes. They're usually, they're not girls, you know what I'm talking about, like them heels. Them, they can't be comfortable. You want some slippers. So if you, if you need the really, really flashy, cool shoes, it's because I'm driven by, like, the marketing. But, but if I, I get the comfy shoes, I, I'm driven by, by comfort. Mother Teresa has no shoes because she's driven by eternity. She died in 1997. She has perfect feet now. Why? Because she's living in the age to come. As a church, I, I, I just want to like beg you, be driven by eternity. Don't be driven by the comfort of now. Don't be driven by the greed of now. Don't be driven by the pride of needing to measure up or feel good about yourself. Be driven by eternity. Because what you do now affects what goes on there. Will you bow your heads? Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we pray that, God, we would be driven by eternity. God, I pray. Would you just let this be your prayer this morning? Could, as a matter of fact, would you put this on screen? Would you let this be your prayer this morning? Some of you need to take this home and keep praying it. God, as we are faithful to you and your word, would you increase our capacity to give? Would you bless us so that we could be a blessing to the world around us? Would you help us to be driven by eternity in all that we do? Can we let that be our prayer? That's why legacy is so important. The reason why legacy is so important is because it is about connecting people to Christ. It is about increasing our capacity to reach and help more people, but not just right now. We're talking about for generations to come. For the last, I think, 30 years, this building has been in existence. There has been a church here on Sunday morning. For the last 30 years, a church has held service here. Not us always, but we've been here since 09. A church has been here worshiping God on Sunday morning for the last 30 years. Really, since the building was built, I think within a year, a church came in here and started using it. And all I know is this, is that I believe this place, although on Fridays there are quinceañeras and Saturdays there are bar mitzvahs and there are all kinds of crab feeds and corporate events and all kinds of things, you know what would really be special? Because that crab won't make it to eternity. Whatever those companies are selling, it won't make it to eternity. Bless God, I love your little 15-year-old girl. But that's not the way that we glorify God. What if? What if we said, hey, well, let's be driven by eternity. Let's be generous and sacrificial with our finances. Let's do our finances in such a way that God's able to increase our capacity because he knows we could handle it if he gave us more. 
We'd know what to do with it if he gave us more. We would still have God first if he gave us more. More would not distract us. More, more would not bring impurities into our heart. More would not wreck us in our futures and our families. More would be managed so well because we would put God first. We would manage the rest. We would master debt and that we would live a life driven by eternity. So this is our legacy moment. God, I pray that you would bless these people as they give and put you first. God, I pray that you'd bless them in incredible ways. Increase their capacity to give, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can we give Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.